0: All right, on today's episode, it's gonna be the 2023 annual recap. This is the 10 lessons that I learned scaling an e-com brand with influencers and affiliates. So these are the top 10 lessons that I learned, good and bad, first one. Welcome everyone to the Partner Up Profits Podcast. I'm your host, Joy Viancourt, a former introverted small towner who now adds value to businesses by sharing the most effective ways to grow and scale using affiliate and influencer partnership strategies. I'll share the lessons I've learned over the past 15 years while helping my clients generate more than $100 in sales. We'll also dive into productivity hacks, mindset, and the newest trends from real case studies and expert interviews. You're just one partnership away from changing your business. Get ready, partner up, and profit. Let's get into it. Before we get into the episode, make sure to visit partnerupprofits.com to get access to my library of systems, tools, templates, and courses to help you and your teams level up in affiliate and influencer marketing strategies. The Bootstrapper's Guide to Influencer Marketing is the go-to resource for making sense of how to profitably start, build, and scale an influencer marketing program, and it's got over two hours of free video lessons along with a resource guide. And I'm constantly adding new things to make your life easier with plug-and-play tools and templates, and it doesn't stop at influencer marketing. So if you like done-for-you systems and free stuff, then be sure to go to partnerupprofits.com and join the community today. Today, we are going to uncover just the 10 lessons that I learned. I like to put these together for myself to recap. What did I learn? What mistakes did I do? And what what I want to double down in in the upcoming year? So don't forget to hit the subscribe button, like, share, comment, just stay connected and get all the updates as they come. So... We're an e-com brand and our partnerships team focuses on affiliates, influencers, podcast ads, and we're moving into like new uh, endeavors such as PR, okay? So some of the lessons are related to partnerships, but some are just like systemic meta upgrades to make across the board that I'm learning. And these are my lessons. This is where I'm at. So hopefully some of these resonate with you and I really want to add value. One of the quotes that I like is, you know, looking back is the compass for moving forward, which was Winston Churchill. And The farther backward you look, you know, the farther forward you can likely see. So I'm constantly in retrospect. I don't live in the past. I don't live with regrets. I like to think that everything builds upon each other, but I do want to understand and study what I've done and how I can apply a better strategy moving forward. So these are the top 10 lessons that I learned this past year. Trial and error, good and bad. First one, what works for others may not work for you. For the longest time, I've been defining success based on looking at what other people are doing. And that works to a certain degree, I think. But ultimately, what I wasn't doing is taking into account different factors as to what is the product that I'm promoting or what the what is the brand that I'm working with compared to the brand that I'm comparing to. And one of the things that didn't work for me uh, transparently this past year was whitelisting profile, you know, whitelisting through content creator profiles. And this, what this means, for those of you who don't know, it's amplifying a, a UGC concept or content piece from a certain creator through their own profiles, such as Instagram, Facebook, et cetera. I was so convinced that it would work because I've seen every other company scaling with it and I would mimic their best success or formula, what the, what the, what the marketing offer was and apply it to ours. And it just didn't, didn't work, continuously didn't work. And I was so flabbergasted that it wasn't working. I wanted to make it work. And then eventually I just realized that this isn't the right time potentially. So I need to move on. So that was one thing is just what works for others might not work for you. Try it, test it, assess it, but ultimately be ready to make a piece that it might just not be the right time or not the right endeavor for you and the product and the company you work with. Number two, uh, top of funnel partnerships ROI. So what's the right ROI of a social influencer or partner uh, versus a Facebook ad? versus an Amazon campaign or a Google PPC campaign. These are all dynamic and subjective, of course, so every business is going to have a different answer and there is no definitive answer to this, but I've really been considering what is it uh, and how we should define those top of funnel metrics. So my example is, let's say that we're returning, I don't know, 100% return on ad spend ROI on a podcast ad, but on a Google PPC campaign, we're making 300%. Where do we put more money? Well, initial answer, of course, as anybody would tell you, is do more Google PPC. So you have to understand how, how deep you can go. First off, can I add more dollars? And at what point does it start to break or start to see a decrease? But how is podcast advertising, which is a lesser room at ROI, is it, how is it affecting the Google PPC campaign? And that is a very difficult thing to do. And you know, you can get to a certain extent the accuracy of data to support whether or not it is or not. I'm really considering that the top of funnel is an awareness campaign and that the ROI expectation should be adjusted because of the acquisition channel that it is. So a podcast ROI may not be ever at a PPC advertising campaign ROI, but that's okay. There's still room for it. So now what I'm trying to consider is what is that allocation of attribution expense and how much should we put into those more brand awareness channels rather than a Google PPC campaign? These are philosophical debates, but I think that understanding if you're in this position and you're, you're not alone, you know, and as a company owner, you have to consider those top of funnel acquisitions and LTVs long-term and how it's helping you build a brand and not just a product. So number three, be honest, be direct, and be specific. Brevity is a very difficult skill to obtain, especially as I ramble on through a 20-minute podcast or 60-minute podcast. But in my experience, it hasn't been my strong suit. I'm not as direct as I'd like to be. And I've got a mental block when it comes to it. So I'm aware of it and I'm intending to fix it. And that's everything from being direct and honest with the way I'm feeling. However, not saying it in a way that is pessimistic or negative. It's okay to be honest without the weight. And in the past, I've been told that I have a lot of weight in the things that I say, or whenever I'm getting frustrated and discouraged, and I'm aware of that. So awareness is key. But really just being honest, specific and direct with your teams, with your expectations and yourself. Um, where are you cutting corners? Where are you accepting mediocre results that is causing for longer periods of time not achieving the thing you want to do? This could be working with agencies or brokers or people. Anything that you're doing that you feel in your gut like this isn't right. I need to be making a change. Start to be specific in your asks and you know your outcomes as to what you're taking on. Number four, meetings. So 2023 was a pretty good year for meetings, but in general, meetings have always taken up a lot of time. And as the companies grow, we are doing a lot more meetings than probably necessary. And when I tell people the amount of hours, it's almost embarrassing the responses I get as to why are you guys in so many meetings? It's it's incredible, it's crazy. What the heck are you guys doing? (laughs) So, we implemented something recently called Sprint Weeks. And we started with like Sprint Week is uh, no management meetings. So, you're not just getting together and listening and being a fly on the wall type thing, nor should you, but we had a lot of those. So, we said for one week out of the quarter, we're just going to abolish that. And you guys, everyone get their head down, get on, you know, if you want to do deep work sessions with other people, that's fine, but no more just check ins and like, you know, OKR updates, et cetera. And that saves so much time. And then all of a sudden, we did two weeks a quarter, four weeks. And now we're up to six weeks, a quarter, and basically it's bi-weekly. We've got a sprint, no meeting, no management meeting week. And that has made such a difference. (laughs) So meetings, sprint week is just a game changer. Also a filtering system. Is this meeting necessary? Really just constructing some sort of filter system to say, is this efficient? Are the people here efficient on this call? Not to say that they're not good at what they do, but should they be on this call? Having an agenda. Again, stating the obvious, but do you have an agenda? Do you know why you're meeting that day? Do you know what your role is in that meeting? If not, you need to get clear on it. And if you have no role, get off that call. And then what's the outcome of a meeting? In general, it's not to be a meeting with your team. It can be a meeting with a broker. But even if it's not listed in the uh, event or the meeting request, et cetera, in your head, you should have an outcome as to what is the point of this call. By the end of it, I need to achieve this outcome for me to feel satisfied that this meeting was worthwhile. Meetings are expensive. So make sure to treat it and your time with respect. Five, systems. Systems, everybody harps on systems, right? Like, you know, systems, uh, but systems combined with discipline create freedom and scalability. So again, systems combined with discipline create freedom and scalability with your teams. Continue to refine build and identify where systems are needed and create feedback loops with your team so that you never lose sight of it. And that similar to customer feedback, you continue to get employee and team feedback. And in some cases, customer and partnership feedback on how to level up that system. But as we scale, that is more prominent than ever before. one of the core values that we have now is discipline. And discipline uh, goes down to adherence to systems. Number six, let go of good to make room for great. Of course, this is a, you know, across the board philosophy for life, but I've been guilty of holding on to good with the intention of hopefully they level up to great when it comes to people, when it comes to a system, or when it comes to even new endeavors and discoveries, like I was talking about with whitelisting. I continue to hold on to things a little bit too long. So the questions I ask now are where am I settling with my teams, my employees, my partners, myself? evaluating all my ROIs across the board for the channels that I'm managing, the partnerships I'm managing, and make peace with what's not working. As human beings, I think we all want to achieve, and maybe just as high-level entrepreneurs or high-level achievers, we all want to make everything work. You can't. And the faster you can disconnect and disengage from that behavior, the better, where you don't feel like it's an opportunity of failure. It's an opportunity for growth. So for me, I'm continuing to practice that and something that I've learned in 2023 is just let go of good to make room for great. Number seven, um, I'm not formally trained in management of people by any means. So I went from a solopreneur type of company management style to building teams and uh, you know being able to scale teams uh, and building my own you know businesses. and it's been a long haul for me to figure this out because again, no management training. But what I'm realizing is that hiring people isn't an easy thing to do. And of course, you hear everyone's philosophy on like hire slow, fire fast, and other people will tell you the opposite. I just think that hiring more people isn't always the answer. And it's really improving the hiring and prospecting and expectations before somebody's actually coming on board, which leads me to number eight. Take the time to fully define clear expectations in a job role and their KPIs. So Recently, we've had to hire a few more people for the upcoming year. I spent probably four to six hours prepping this role because the investment of time is worth it. Um, If I don't paint the picture, if I don't have actual objectives and targets and KPIs, how do we know if we're ever reaching those? It's a disservice to the person and the company and myself not setting those. And in the past, what I would do is I didn't sandbag it because I wanted to sandbag it. I just didn't treat it with respect and give it the time it deserved. And what happened from there is that people are in chaotic messes. They don't know if they're hitting their KPIs. I don't know if they're hitting their KPIs. What is the KPI to hit? So this time I took a lot of time with like chat GPT. And I challenged a lot of my assumptions as to like, you know, what could this person make based on the average person bringing in this much revenue with this many hours allocated to outreach as an example, or with this job, et cetera. So I really went deep on this. And from there, I had a 12 month KPI mission set for this person. Uh, I had clear roles, responsibilities. I had a mission of the person built and everyone was on board. Everybody signed off and everybody's motivated by it. And frankly, everybody understood it. I've been experiencing things where I feel like I'm speaking English while other people are hearing it in Spanish because they don't understand my English language. That happens a lot to people when they're communicating, especially me. And I'm I'm trying to get the buy-in from people but also make sure they understand what I'm saying and that I communicate in a way that they actually understand it. Now, the next thing, number nine, again, universal philosophy, but less is more. Ideas are plentiful. Execution is not. I've been guilty of this so many times, this past year especially. Uh, I take a lot of nootropics from Nootopia. I love them, including Xamarin juice, which I'm always popping, but, or spraying, I should say, because it's a spray. But literally my brain starts to go into overdrive and I've got too many ideas. And as a visionary, it's great. Like I'm a visionary with a hybrid of like integrator. I can be both. I'm a bit of a chameleon when it comes to that. I'll get guilty of just too many ideas and I'll, I'll sprout those out to my teams and myself and I'll have a to-do list of like a thousand things all of a sudden within a day. And it's really just like, it's busyness of the mind because everyone's got ideas. So now what I'm focused on is, you know, even if I have an idea, I run it through a bit of a filter system. Should I do this? Can I control it? Will it move the needle and by how much? Like if it's not going to move the needle, recently I was told like a 30%, you know, lift. If it doesn't move the needle by 30%, don't even consider taking it on if you're in a position that you need to leverage your time efficiently. So now I'm just, I'm limiting my ideas. I'm throwing them in buckets and some of those buckets, which are basically just notepads, I never see again. But it feels good to get them out. It's therapeutic. But at the end of the day, I just don't want to continue to give ideas that the team gets overwhelmed and it distracts from what we previously set at the beginning of the year as the vision, as the North Star. So just less is more in general. But for me and anybody who has a lot of ideas, start to limit the ideas and save them for the appropriate time and then reevaluate them. Are they even a good idea when you look back on them in six weeks or three months? Number 10, again, stating the obvious, but company culture, man, I can't tell how many times I've experienced people on calls who are in companies that I'm talking with that don't enjoy what they're doing. And I can sense it it's it's a really, I don't know if it's an empathetic superpower, but I can just feel like they don't have the empowerment. They don't have a culture of sharing. They feel alone. And it's become really relevant to me that systems will continue to scale businesses, but culture continues to nurture that scaling of the business under underlying everything else. And as we continue to be remote workers, you know, digital nomads to some degree, whenever we're constantly traveling and We're kind of alone, and we have to rely now on relationships at work and culture being built at work. So, if you're not paying attention to culture as much as you should, or you don't even know anything about that, you don't have to be the expert, but definitely lean into people who have done it. And I would say that culture has been one of the key catalysts in bringing on amazing people to our team and empowering them and making them feel and they are in full control over where they go in their career that then feeds their personal life and they're happier, they feel more successful. That culture is really what's needed within a company. So those are the 2023 top 10 lessons and we all continue to learn. And I think that my call to action for you listening is if there's anything that resonates with you, you know, take up the next step. What's the next little piece that you can implement? But then doing a bit of an analysis of this past year, what are the top 10, 10 things you learned? And in the spirit of culture, share with your teams. You know, don't keep this as a siloed thing because the way to connect and be relatable is that we're all vulnerable and we all have these same concerns, the same fears, the same insecurities or the same hopes and the dreams. But if you're not sharing them, you don't create that bonding experience. So I'm constantly challenging myself to do that too because I'm an introvert. It's harder for me to do that, but I continue to try to tune into that. As long as I'm aware of it and I'm making an intent to overcome it, that's the key. It's not about perfection. It's just about action. So that's 2023. I'm looking forward to a big year in 2024 and beyond. Thank you for listening today. I hope you got some value out of this and uh, we'll see you on the next one. All right, just before you go, make sure to visit PartnerUpProfits.com. Sign up to the weekly newsletter to get the latest trends and updates on partnership marketing strategies that include affiliates and influencers. I promise it won't be boring, it'll be worth it, and you'll get notified when new episodes go live. And you'll also get instant access to any new tools that I build and add to the Partner Up Profits collection. Be sure to check it out often as I'm adding new things all the time. Go to PartnerUpProfits.com today. That's all we've got for this Partner Up Profits podcast episode. As always, I hope you leave here today with one new idea that you can apply to your life and business. I'd be forever grateful to you for leaving a review of this episode. And if you like it, rate it a five or give it a thumbs up and just leave a quick comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in to listen. Also, make sure to link up with us at partnerofprofits.com on social media. And please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. Until next time, remember, you're just one partnership away from changing your business. Let others do the selling for you and get ready to partner up and profit.